We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I am Cameron. What's up, Cameron? What's up, Willie? How are you, man? Got any... uh... In Money? Port- no. Got any important news for us today? Um, today, today, today is the official last time we will be shooting in this studio space. If you're a person who only listens to the show, um, then you may not know the uh, the relevance of this space. But um, we are moving to a new studio with uh, a new setup, and things will be a little a little different. Yeah. But uh, but this space will be no more, so it's been quite a little journey. Yeah. Um, over 130 episodes here. Yeah. We appreciate what this space has done for us, but it's on to new things. Yeah. So at the end of the show today, we're going to ceremoniously tear everything down. <laughs> and light it on fire. And set it on fire. Yes. So stick around till the end, guys. Yes. You know, you mentioned you mentioned uh, going through a process and some change and, you know, what it's done for us. And, you know, just like uh, I would like to mention, we have a story of a guy that went through quite the process of change. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's always our intention to carry a message here and share openly with uh you guys honestly openly and i'm a little bit sad yeah yeah actually i'm having a hard time there is some sadness but but it's all good it is it is all good things you know we've outgrown the space but uh anyway i was mentioning a great war story from Derek, who uh responded to a facebook request that i had um and was willing to give us a story and out of that story, he had mentioned something about his intentions with getting sober. And we thought, wow, what a great topic, you know, the power of intention. And so while we intend to have a very good show, we're going to talk about the power of intentions. Yeah, the, uh, the, the power of intention. I always, it's funny because like I, you hear the word intention thrown around so much. And uh, I always, like I always, it, it puts a certain, it puts me into a certain mind frame when I hear the word intention. I'm like, oh yes, intention, intention is important. But then I always want to come back like when, when we talk about it and try and explain like what, what is intention? Like what does yeah. that even mean? You yeah. know, like, because I think that uh, it, it gets used so much that it kind of loses its relevance. Um, and so what we mean when we we mean or when we use the word intention is like what's what's the thought behind the action like what's what's the motive like what's the action or the plan like with uh, with this specific um, action right yeah. um, and I think what how Derek had used this was when he went to rehab for the last time he he went with a new intention right yeah. 
um, and he was able to put a lot of intention into that action and as a result he's sober today right um, and so when we talk about intention um, I think it's important to acknowledge that there can be good intentions and bad intentions yeah and that uh, that intention has a lot of power um, so yeah, with yeah. that, let's start. Go. Yeah. Okay. Intention. Well, one. you know, one, one thing that you need to remember is that uh, thoughts create intentions, intentions create thoughts, and thoughts become our reality. And so, um, you know, I go, I go way back, and I think, you know, some of the most fucked up things that happened to me mentally, a lot of them came from a place of good intention, you know, like, like uh, mm. you know, people... As people, we'll tend to lie with the very best of intentions, right? Like, yeah, like we will try to protect the people that that we love from our own destruction, and and the intention behind that is, you know, we we really do want to save the people that we love from harm, but it's it's like a fucking double edged sword, right? Because at the same time, I also have this intention of of not having them fuck up my high. So I'm lying <laughs> because I want, you know, I want to continue in, in my behavior, but I also don't want to harm them. And so uh, it, the the saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions, it, it, it's true because you have to be very careful with the intentions you put out and be very clear about what the end result is that you're trying to get. Now, the thing that you mentioned, Derek, going into treatment with a new intention, his new intention is to get clean and sober and right. to stop hurting the people that he loves. Um, they become honest and, and have the reap the benefits of a program based in sobriety. And so when I think about all the things as a kid, you know, the, the my parents trying to protect me with good intentions, you know, Santa Claus. Santa yeah, Claus I knew you were going to talk was, about Santa Claus. Was, was, was this well-intended thing that nobody, as a child, nobody intended to fuck me up, right? Nobody intended to to make my life scattered or get me to not trust myself or any of that stuff. You know, everything, my teachers had well-intended, you know, they all had good intentions. But, uh, you know, if you don't put thought behind what your actions could do, then your intentions mean nothing, right? So as I move throughout my life, you know, I, I move forward from, from being a child and I, and I start thinking about, like, my high school girlfriend. And um, I never intended to hurt her, right? Like, I never, that wasn't my intention was, like, to get in. My plan was not to get with somebody and harm them emotionally, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. that wasn't my plan my, uh, because of my lack of experience because of my inability to recognize my own selfishness because of my desire to have all the things that I want when I want it um, all that I ended up hurting her emotionally because uh, I didn't have a a solid plan behind what it was I, I I wasn't honest with her or any of that stuff right and so uh I like like becoming aware of my intentions was something that took a long time in my life and it took a lot of practice it took like like what is it i'm really trying to do here 
with this one life that I have. Yeah. Well, do you think, uh, do you think that the ability to understand your intentions or be mindful about your intentions has come through a process of recovery? Because for me, like, I don't think I had any, like, I don't, I don't think I really knew like what it was I was after. Like in your example, um, with, you know, a girlfriend, it's like, I would, I would go out with these girls or, you know, I would, uh, ask these girls out with the intention of sleeping with them. Right. Now I, like I, like I said, I had no intention, like you said, I had no intention of breaking their heart or hurting their feelings or, or, um, um, making them feel, um, used, but I also wasn't thinking about my intentions with them. Like I was yeah. only thinking about myself with those intentions. Yeah. And as a result of me thinking about myself, those other things inevitably happened. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't until I was able to, to get sober for a minute that I was able to really look at like, okay, like what, what are my motives here? Like, what am I after? Mm. Um, how does that impact this other individual? And is this something that I'll be able to live with myself for? Because oftentimes in those situations where I did find that my actions hurt somebody as a result of me being selfish, um, I, I didn't like how it felt, you know, like I did feel bad. Um, and to be honest with you, like, a lot of times it led me to into dysfunctional relationships because my intention was just to sleep with them for one night. And because I didn't want to hurt them, I would then like turn that into a relationship. Oh, right. Right. And then it's like this one night stand that turned into, you know, an eight, nine month relationship because I didn't want to hurt their feelings. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, being able to sort of know my intentions beforehand saved me a lot of time. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, you learned it later. Yeah. Like, like after, <laughs> after a few eight month, one night stands. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's not uncommon for, for, for us. You know, it's not like we know how to communicate that. Uh, I didn't learn how to communicate sexually until like last week. So, right. <laughs> Still learning. <laughs> yeah, really. And, um, but yeah, I think you, you mentioned a word in there, I think, uh, that is really important for us to learn how to, how to navigate through. And that's our motives, right? Mm -hmm. What, what are our motives? Um, it's, it's insane to me. It's so crazy to me that, that so many of us can live our entire lives without really having a relationship with ourselves, without being able to admit what it is we really want in life. Um, that's definitely not something that I wasn't able to do prior to sobriety because I didn't have the capability to think past my own nose. And so I certainly wasn't able to think past, uh, you know, like I might live till I'm like 80 or 90 or a hundred. Um, when I was in, in active addiction, it was, I might not live the rest of today. And, and so I didn't have a whole lot of of deep thought about my motive in life or what kind of relationship I want to have with myself in life or my long-term goals as far as relationships with other people or 
what I would like my life to look like in the long run. And so my motives were always like moment to moment to moment. And now I, ha I I've learned how to kind of base my motives on stuff that's a little bit more long term. But I wasn't able, like I said, I wasn't able to do that prior to recovery. I needed other people to kind of like help me think about what what's past today, what's past tomorrow. You know, how is this behavior going to affect you and her and them uh, if you move through with it? Because mm -hmm. having, you know, I, it's still it's still pretty easy for me to have the intention, even with my own wife, to to like just want to have sex real quick <laughs> it's, not, yeah, yeah. it's not you know it's not i don't i, I, I we have a relationship but it's uh, it's easy like i can go okay we have 15 minutes let's go bang it out like let's the kids are busy <laughs> I, you know neither one of us have anything to do uh but my intention isn't to just have a one-night stand anymore it's to have a relationship with her but it's still easy for me to get selfish in that but but looking at my motive versus like uh what it is i'm trying to get like man it's it's fucking tough to navigate this whole because my motives are always long term now i'm always trying to think how is this action going to affect me and my family long term hmm. you know mm -hmm. um and my intentions i i don't ever intend to fuck up my life today right um but i still get really short-term desires right yeah 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 oh yeah and yeah. it's it's funny that as we talk about this i can kind of see those character defects popping up uh you know when i get angry it's not my intention to hurt somebody right. my intention right. is to make my point heard yeah and, and let and it be known that i'm angry <laughs> It's and to not do that again, right? Uh, or whatever it is that I'm angry about. But my intention isn't to to harm anybody. However, regardless of what my intention is, I still end up harming somebody. And so I have to go through and and do some work on how I navigate and express my anger without hurting other people. And my motive behind that is to have long-term success in my relationships. Like, I don't want to start over mm -hmm. again mm -hmm. with all these. Yeah. Well, what, one of the, what an interesting mind fuck this yeah. is as I start talking. Yeah. About like it. I wow, this can is... barely even wrap my mind around what you just said, <laughs> but that's not uncommon. Um, most of the time I'm just <laughs> half checked out anyways, uh. but no, like I, one of the one of the greatest things I heard in AA was you know play the tape through, right. play the tape through like really like ask yourself like what this action is going to get you and how it's all going to go and based on evidence prior like you know I may want this today I may want to drink today but what's going to happen tomorrow what's going to happen the next day like what's going to happen a week from now you know and yeah. and uh, that was certainly something that I couldn't do when I was out there you know, running and gunning was, it's, it's funny because like we, we hear this statement all the time, like, um, one day at a time, right? Like just think about today. And I remember when I was early on in treatment, we had a family night where, you know, people like supporting family members could come, uh, for all those people in treatment and they would have like, a 
I want to say like a lecture, but it was just like a sort of a um, a talk to explain um, certain things and behaviors and let everybody know like where we were at in the program and and things like that. And I remember there was a, one of the one of the counselors was conveying the idea of one day at a time, right? And one one guy raised his hand and said isn't that what got my son into trouble to begin with is the fact that he's only thinking about today and that he's only, you know, thinking about this moment and what he wants right now. And, uh, and it made me think, you know, like I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's for sure. What got us in trouble. Like we, we weren't able to play the tape through, but what we're talking about when we talk about recovery is we flip it on its head. Right. And we talk about, you know, being sober one day at a time. Um, and, uh, and that seems to serve us in a much better capacity, um, than anything, than any other way of, of living that we were doing before. So kind of putting that intention behind it too, of, of knowing like I'm doing this for the better, not for the worse, um, helps us to, to get through those moments. Um, so yeah, I think that yeah, we, I mean, we really have to know like what, uh, what are our goals? What are our motives? What are our, what, what outcome are we after? And, uh, and if we can look long term, then we'll usually find that, uh, that the actions while using are not in line with where we want to see ourselves long term. Right. And, uh, and that oftentimes is, but I, I mean, I had to, I had to go somewhere where people would show me that, yeah. you know, I had to have somebody that had been there before me, like kind of open my eyes to that way of thinking because yeah, I didn't know if I was going to live past the day, Right. you know, my behavior certainly suggested otherwise. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it definitely suggested that you didn't care if you did or not. Yeah. Well, and I didn't, you know, in all honesty. Um, and today it's a, it's a lot different. Like today I want to live. And so I'll put the intention of, um, of that into the work that I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. today I have a life beyond my wildest dreams and, and so today I do what I have to do to keep it. Yeah. And I put that intention into my actions. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. You said something today. I want to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is which is so different than what it used to be, you know. And so I'm I'm thinking about how how do I create um, a, a design or pathway for my desired outcome with intention, right? Um, and so when I think about like what are the practices I do, one of the things that I had to do, and we haven't talked about it for a while, and I think that 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 this goes just hand in hand with the intention for the long term of our lives is, is doing that vision for me. Mm, mm-hmm, right. Like, mm-hmm. like one of the, one of the great tools for creating intention in our lives is to sit down and I've done this and you've done this and you know, uh, some other people that we know, several people that we know and, and uh, listen to on YouTube and, and all that kind of stuff had done this. So you, you sit down and, and really in your mind, start with 
trying to create the idea of the highest version of yourself. Right? What does that look like? What, yeah. what, what would that look like? Getting it out of the mind and onto paper so that I can see a destination for me. What is this? Who is this person? What, what do I want this person yeah. to look like? A destination. Yeah, and I like it, that. And it's like, it's already, the answer is already inside of me. Of, mm -hmm. of who I want you know some people talk about I've heard it in meetings a bunch of times you know what my higher power wants for me what what my God wants for me what God wants my life to be like and I think about it a lot like what I might what I think my wife would want my life to look like mm. right uh, <clears throat> and a lot of times I have to go through and I have to try to imagine first of all what what does my wife uh, how does she see me? Because I don't see me the way that she sees me. Right. And so uh, I have to try to think about that. But then I also have to try to think about if I wasn't here, what would the what type of person would I want in charge of my family? Like what kind of man would I want raising my kids? Hmm. And and if I can go through and I can I can imagine like, OK, if because I, I know I'm fucked up. Right. Like I, like I know that I have all these downfalls. Yeah. I have all these defects of character. I have all these, have all these pits and fucking just, these parts of me that need work. Up. Right. Yeah. And so I really have to detach myself from myself and look at me from a completely different perspective and think, okay, if, if I was to create the perfect, uh, being to take care of my family with me gone, what would that look like, right? And and from that point, with me being detached from myself, from my character defects, from from my excuses about why I can't be the highest version of myself, from from the idea of failure, if I can be a t detached from that and move into imagination and, and really just create in my mind <coughs> this fucking, this loving, caring, savage of a man that, that thinks things through, it shows up with, with action uh does what he says he's gonna do uh is forgiving um you know and i and i can put that all on paper in every area of my life from from the way that i fuel my body to my finances the way i create my money you know how i take care of myself my hygiene um, um all those things if i can if i can go through and i can create that and then move forward with that. I can I can really see the intention behind the person that I'm trying to be, mm -hmm. right? And I have this end. And I, well, I don't. I wouldn't call it end goal, but I have a destination. Yep. Yep. I have a place that I'm trying to get as mm -hmm. a person. And then throughout my day, I get to practice these different areas of my life, and you know, trying to be that person that I want my kids to be raised by. Right. That I want my wife to be loved by. That I want my friends to have in their life like what kind of friend do i want to be to cameron stuff like that mm -hmm. you know and, and you know i think that's a great practice and something that we've done is put on paper the highest version of ourselves yeah well and it's funny because like honestly before before um i got sober like i didn't even give this stuff any thought like i i mean i knew I knew that I wanted a certain life, but the thought of it actually happening became unreal. 
Like I, it didn't, it didn't feel like it was, I was capable of it. Yeah. Right. Un- unobtainable. Yeah. Unobtainable. And, and, uh, then in recovery, like we're able to look at this stuff and ask ourselves like these hard questions. Um, and, um, it's interesting. Like it's definitely like, and, and I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've gained from recovery is being able to really ask myself these, these questions and, and to sit on it long enough to have an answer that does feel obtainable, you know, and, uh, and to believe in myself in obtaining these goals. But I think that it's absolutely crucial that we have a destination. What's that video that you always talk about? Like the black and white video um, on YouTube of that speaker that was like one of the first oh, videos. Oh, Earl that you Nightingale. Read. Yeah. The, yeah. That the, Earl. The strangest secret. Yeah. The Earl Nightingale video. Maybe we'll post a link in, in the show notes. But isn't that what he talks about mm-hmm. is like having a destination? Yep. And just putting your thoughts towards that destination. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He. Yeah. So he uh, he he uses your mind kind of as a vehicle. And the idea that um, if if your mind is the most powerful ship in the world and you have no one steering it, it's just going to fucking wreck. Right. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. having having a destination with with a driver and, um, you know, being able to point that towards something, then you're more likely to get there. Right. Right. And, right. Right. And, and like having having you know, a clear idea of what you want in life. It's just, it helps. Yeah. Well, when I, when I think of that analogy, like what it makes me realize is that when I was using and my, my only thought was like the destination for each day was just to feel good. (laughs) Like I just want to feel good, you know? Yeah. And my actions definitely prove that that's was my destination, right? Like I put all this effort and all this time and energy towards feeling good. Um, and I never gave myself a long-term destination. So when I went into recovery and I was able to change those intentions to, um, build a life that, you know, like that, that seems manageable. Um, I'm able to do that in a way that my thoughts now sort of show that, well, my thoughts and my actions show that this is the destination that I have in mind. And, uh, I think all that to say too, in my own experience too, is that sometimes like, uh, a higher power has other things in mind for me, right? Like maybe I don't get exactly what I thought that I wanted, but it Uh turns out to be something, (laughs) you know, better. Yeah. Um, and I think that that uh, that plays into it as well gosh there's there's so much to it huh you know because because you're right like like i don't know what the best thing is for me right if i did i certainly would be a different person a long time ago you know jordan peterson talks about that kind of that exact thing you know and we have to i i have to be open to that higher power doing for me what I can't do for myself, like revealing to me the next correct action. Um, there are some things that I know work mm-hmm. there, are, you know, 
um, like like we were saying, writing stuff down works. Um, talking to other people work. Um, being of service works. Uh, prayer and meditation works. And then, like, not if I don't know what to do, not doing anything. That that's a good one too. And and it all leads to that same thing where, uh, really, I just. I, I didn't just want to feel good when I was getting loaded. I still want to feel good every day. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and and the, the difference is I want to feel good in a way that is produced through the actions of being a good person. I don't, I don't want to artificially feel good anymore. Right, right. I want to feel good because my actions uh, parallel my intention, right? Um, I don't have... I don't, I don't have a, uh, I don't, I don't have it in me to be mean anymore. I don't have it in me to, to waste time with, with absolute complete selfish intentions. Like, like it used to be like you were talking about. I don't, I don't want to be the old person that I was. It was too painful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's what I was just about to say is like the pain that came from from living that way was so great that it's hard to imagine. Um, it's hard to imagine being like that now. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, because it, you know, it, it didn't start out being that painful, but it eventually got that painful. And then I'm taking stuff to numb that pain and that becomes painful and, yeah. and so on and so forth. Anybody listening to this knows how the cycle goes, right? Like it's never our intentions to, to, set out to be a drug addict, right? You know, it's never our intentions to, um, be somebody who drinks every day and is out of control. That's never what we're after, right? Like what we're after is just to calm the storm that's happening inside. Um, most times, right. Yeah. And, and through doing that, the outside becomes chaos. Um, the, the, the longer we do that and the, and the further down the hole we go. So, you know, when we now in recovery, we can look at those actions and think, you know, like I've got to, I've still got the same issues. Mm -hmm. There's still the storm inside, but I've got to address them in a way where nobody gets hurt. And, and, uh, I'm able to, you know, deal with them for a long term resolution. Yeah. Um, as opposed to a quick fix, which is, you know, all it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what it, a, what it's a, fun to think about. Yeah. What an interesting topic. Uh, and how like, dualistic intentions can lead us down to such great ends and they can like lead us down to such destructive, painful. Yeah. Ends. Well, and I just really like the idea of putting purpose into our actions. Yeah. You know, like really, really doing things with the intention of getting, yielding certain results. Yeah. Um, and, and understanding that, uh, purpose. Yeah. Purpose. Purpose makes a difference. It does. It does. We put we put a, a good purpose followed with good intentions and some solid action behind that. You know, wanting to get sober. 
because it's time to get sober. There's there's a good purpose, right? Uh, the intention is to make our lives better and the people that love us lives better, stop harming our community and ourselves. And then the action behind that is, you know, picking up the tools, either going into a detox center, a treatment center, at a 12-step meeting, getting on a coaching call with somebody, um, you know, then the action, the action meets the intention, meets the purpose, creates the life. And the life is ultimately what it is we're trying to do here. We spend enough time out there dying. Yep. We spend enough time out there crying. Yeah. Spend yeah. enough time out there trying. Lying. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so like being on this side of the table, it's, it's really an honor to be able to kind of like check my intentions. Like what, what is it I'm trying to do? And I'm very grateful for, for the things that have been revealed to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where like you, you kind of go through this process with yourself where you're like, okay, what are my intentions? And you find sort of the same bullshit that got you in trouble anyways. Yeah. Like, like I'm just thinking like, you know, recently I found myself in a, I want to say an argument, but it was basically a, an exchange of disagreement, if you will, <laughs> okay. with, uh, with somebody else. And it was actually somebody in the program and we were kind of dis disagreeing about something within AA and uh and you know i left that situation going what what was my intention behind mm. behind the conversation that i was having yeah. like, what was what was i after like what was i trying to do like what was i trying to prove and at some point i i realized that well i was trying to prove a point and i'm like that's dumb that is yeah yeah like why what what's the point of that like why am i trying to prove a point yeah you know and uh and so i had to i actually you know ended up uh calling that individual and and apologizing but um cool yeah yeah you know and i had to uh, i had to understand too that uh you know like that's uh that it, it it is to him what it's going to be to him and he can respond however he wants. But I, you know, once I was able to kind of look and check my intentions, I was like, that's not admirable and that's not honorable. And that's not even something that um, is going to make a difference in this situation. So yeah, why don't I just step back and apologize and just let it be, you know? And, uh, and that's what I did. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I appreciate now that I have the ability to recognize that because before I can't tell you how many, you know, <laughs> I can't tell you how many disagreements I had with people, you know, uh, before getting sober and working a program of recovery where I would be like, well, that's not, I mean, they have to see because I have to make them see yeah. because I have to, cause I'm right. Yeah. Because I'm right. You know? And um, and they don't get it. I have to make them get it. And it's like, what is that? Yeah. You know? That's all ego. Yeah. For mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, and it's neat being able to be able to talk about this stuff in real time. You know, real, real experiences that we have on a, on a daily or weekly basis with, 
the things that we talk about on this show, mm-hmm. the topics, and uh, because you know the one thing that we've learned uh, is that we're not all that different. Right, we're, we're really not, man. We're we're all kind of struggling with the same thing. We're all kind of headed towards the same destination, and that's just having, you know, now that now that we want to live, um, that we have that desire. We want to live a full and happy life to the best of our ability with with what we're able to do. And that's that's really the ultimate intention with, with getting sober is to stop wasting our lives and stop wasting the emotions that we've been given and stop hurting people and just just make the world a better place with us in it. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. I could go for a little bit at that. Yeah. Um, thinking about that long term is critical because I can't, I can't hold on to that resentment like I used to, right? Um, and us. right. And when I go into things with the wrong intention, especially when I'm interacting with individuals, um, generally I'm either going to come out of it resenting myself or resenting them. Yeah, and that will just boil up in me and fester. To the point where, um, you know, I start seeking something for a short-term fix. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's not, I can't afford that today. Right. I can't afford to. Too many people counting on you. Yeah, you know, because of the blessings that I have um, as a result of working this program, I can't afford to lose them. Yeah. So. Yep. Good stuff, man. Yeah. Good, good stuff. Gives yeah. me a lot to think about. It's been kind of interesting to talk about. Yeah. It's hmm. Interesting to navigate. So thank you. Thank you. Good no. night. And <laughs> no. Good night, everybody. Not yet. Oh, wait. Not yet. Now we, now we get to the good part oh. of the show. All right. The good part. That's right. The thing that we love the most about being able to... to on this show is to get to hear the stories and the successes of the people that share their stories on this show mm-hmm. so yeah. like we said we have a we have a really good one uh derek went through some shit uh he has quite the interesting story there's some there, you'll you'll laugh you'll cry <laughs> yeah he had yeah. quite the ride yeah. and i'm really happy that he's at where he's at now but he can tell it better than i can so what do you say? Yeah, let's let Derek let's, do it. Let's do this. This week's war story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwash Coffee is a damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which makes it a perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell podcast. With delicious blends like Coffee Commitment, Found a New Freedom, We drink a hell of a lot of it here, and it gives us the energy we need to deliver a quality show. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee purchase at brainwashedcoffeeco.com using promo code OTHERSIDE. Clean your bean. Brainwashed coffee. Now, without further ado, here is this week's war story. So, uh, my name's Derek, addict, uh, 45 years old. Uh, I came from a pretty good household. Uh, my father was an engineer. My mother was criminal justice major. They provided a great house. 
So I don't have, I don't have a really sad beginning or anything. Nothing that really started me out with a handicap. Um, we did a lot of moving around. So I, as far as stability in one place, that really wasn't a thing. Um, went to four different elementary schools, one middle school and three different high schools in four years. But from there, I enlisted into the military. And I suppose my story starts between those latter two parts. Now, at the age of 14, that's when I started drinking. We had moved up to Pennsylvania and uh, it was a new environment. A uh, little hectic environment, uh, a lot of issues I wasn't prepared for. And I ended up getting in with a group of friends that were really good people. They weren't bad kids, but, you know, wayward, you know, broken homes, this, that, and the other, trying to fit in. So when I started drinking and smoking and, you know, we hung out mostly at the college. We was up in a town called Indiana, and there's not much in that town except for a Walmart, a Ponderosa, a mall, and a university. So that's where we did all our hanging out. All are partying. 14 years old, I'm hanging out with, with college kids and drinking all night, staying up, still trying to get to school in the morning. And that became our routine. And uh, surprisingly enough, all the stores would sell us alcohol. You know, <laughs> it made it real easy. I could walk into pretty much any, I, everybody knew us. So we could walk in any store and buy, buy liquor. Wasn't really a problem. Uh, within a year, I was smoking weed. You know, but didn't really affect my schooling, didn't affect my grades, you know. I was into sports, loved basketball, uh, loved to run. And back in those days, you could actually pick up at a gas station what was called mini thins, uh, little ephedra tablets, you know. I used to use them for running, helped me breathe a little better. Didn't know what I was really taking the whole time. But uh, that became a habit. Yeah. I started living on those tablets and wasn't getting any sleep. When I went into the army, that's what I used to do. Remember my first real issue was at 19 years old, been up for two or three days popping those pills. And uh, about two in the morning, I got a phone call. And I go to answer the phone out in the hallway, a little pay phone out in the hallway in the barracks. I remember answering the phone and next thing I know I'm on the floor and everybody's in a circle around me. I passed out, you know, didn't, uh, didn't expect that but didn't really think much of it either, you know. My first day in the barracks was November 9th of 96. And I remember that day because it was the night of the Tyson fight when he first got out of prison. That was his first fight. And uh, that's when I showed up at the barracks, you know. Little shy kid, didn't know, didn't know my ass from my elbow at the time. And go up inside this place and it's full of rowdy ass people and they're all jumping and hooting and hollering, drinking. And I didn't want no part of it. Didn't know anybody. So I pretty much went in my room and just stayed there all night just to stay out of the way. And about seven in the morning, I had nothing else to do. So I, I decided I'm going to go do some laundry, go down the laundry and put my laundry in. And when I'm on the way back upstairs, I hear this guy from the end of the hallway yell out my name. Well, he didn't say my name. He said, Crib. Now, I don't know anybody here. So I look down the hallway, and there's this dude way at the other end, and, and military barracks real long. And the guy's calling me, so I go down there. First thing he tells me when he gets, when I get there is, hey, I heard you from Chicago. 
don't know how he knew this, but yeah. He said, well, from now on, this is where you drink. You drink with us. What does that mean? He puts a beer in my hand and tells me by choice or by force, you drinking that beer. <laughs> that started a, a, a lifestyle for the next few years. Well, next, next 20 years, actually. <laughs> but uh, it's all we did, you know, drink and run and drink and work and drink some more. Didn't take long till I started getting in trouble. You know, lost rank, lost money, and starts a little downward spiral of depression and whatnot. But it wasn't nothing I couldn't bounce back out of. When I get out of the army, uh, my parents were going through a divorce. So I decided to help my mom get on her feet. And me and my older adopted brother, we uh we go back with my mom. We moved around a little bit more. Mississippi, Tennessee, till we finally landed in Texas. We got, to, by the time we got to Texas, my, my brother had left. He had gone back to Pennsylvania. So it was me, my mom, and my younger brother at that time. And this is where it got real fun because the house we moved into was next to the house of a drug dealer. Didn't know it, but I got to know the guy and he was, he was real cool. You know, I love him. He was a great guy and he liked me and he, he just wanted to show me a good time. You know, I'm new to, I'm new to Texas and he wanted me to, to get the feel for the place. So he took me up under his wing and took me out, started showing me around, taking me to the clubs and whatnot. But he was never really ever trying to force anything on me. He was just hanging out. So, you know, I ran with it. Got to know some people. Then uh, one day at a party, I get introduced to cocaine. And it was real weird how it happened, but it happened. You know, and not wanting to, not wanting to punk out. Yeah, I went ahead and did it. And he gave me a, he gave it to me, just gave me a, an eight ball. Like it wasn't nothing. And from from that day on, you know, he, he took a shine to me. Every time I saw this guy, he used to give me cocaine. You know? It was a weekend thing. It was a party thing. Wasn't a big deal. Didn't seem like it would be a problem at all. And that went on for a while. You know? Right around 2003, the company I was working for at the time, they decided to outsource all of their production to Mexico. So we're being about to get put out of a job. But it was a good deal at the time. It seemed like a good deal because I learned that if you're ever working for a company that outsources their job and you lose employment to Mexico, you automatically qualify for unemployment benefits, you know, for a duration of time, free schooling. And all I could think about was getting easy money and plenty of time to do cocaine, party. The girl I was with, she, uh, I, I didn't know it at the time, but the friends she was hanging out with had a, had a bad meth habit. And at the time, I didn't know anything about meth. So uh, we, we partied a lot. We ran around, wasted all the money we had, ended up losing the place we were in, had to move in with her folks. And at the time, I still wasn't really bad. 
You know, it was still just my little weekend thing. We move in with her folks, and one of the guys I was working with, he's the one that introduced me to crack, because I had been doing cocaine for, for about a year at that point. But at a party one night, he showed me how to cook it up. We smoked. And uh, I'm doing my crack. She's doing her meth. But I'm still functioning somewhat, you know. I'd be lying if I said I was doing good, but I was still functionable. Anyway, it was winter of 2005 when everything went bad. You know, she she took my car. She left me stranded at a at a house for several days with no food, no water, while she went up on a stealing binge. And when she showed back up, it's like she didn't care. It was a it was a rough patch, led into some more depression. You know, we went through a breakup after the, after that because of that. And uh, that's when I fell off. I, 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 I fell into crack real bad for about, for about a year. But you know, I'm still able to work and whatnot. I just, I was slowly coming apart. In 2006 is when I met my current wife and things turned around a little bit, you know. I was in a good place. I was putting my life back together. I'd laid the drugs down. And everything was real good for about two years. I was able to just quit cold turkey. But at 29 years old, I had become not only a husband, but a stepfather and even a step-grandfather overnight. It was a lot of pressure. And I was masking a lot of it because I was trying to be that good husband and hold a family together. So I was taking on more than I could handle and I wasn't saying anything to anybody. But inside the pressure was building up. Um, finally, I, this was, I went to trucking school in 2008, got my CDL. And the first time I smoked crack again was at the trucking school. It was in a, it was in a little shady part of town up in Fort Worth. Ran somebody, got me a little bit, hit that. And it brought that taste back to me. I finished the school, got, got the job, went out, did my little over-the-road training. And when I got back to Austin, you know, that beast took over again. You know, for a couple of weeks, that's all I did. Went back out on the road and now things happen. Uh, it wasn't a big and deal with the road stuff. I, I I didn't stay with that job long. I didn't like it and trying to stay out there with and feed a habit wasn't wasn't even in the plan. So I came back and uh, that's when I got a job on a tow truck local. Now, the tow trucks, I've made great money, you know, probably more money than I should have been making because I, I wasn't able to handle it well. Went out and started making money, and I'm paying bills again. I'm handling everything. And 
it, it really wasn't going good. Found myself hanging out with the wrong people and sitting in a tow truck on the side of the highway smoking crack. And you deal with a lot of police officers in this job, you know, especially when you're dealing with wrecks and whatnot. <laughs> and, and what nothing worse than pulling up on the scene of an accident, having to get out with a road guard vest at two in the morning, talk to an officer while you're dripping sweat, you know, <laughs> that kind of, that, that, that's just bad business. I was able to leave that job, clean up again for a little bit, go back, you know, go back and pull myself together. In 2009, a year later, I got a job with the school district, driving a school bus. Everything's good again. About six months into that, pressure at home starts building up. I relapse and this became a trend. I would do good for a little bit and then I'd fall back off. Found myself one day out at a training facility for the city and working with a bunch of police and, and kids. <laughs> and I'm sitting on, the, they're outside the bus doing their little field day and I'm sitting on the bus smoking crack. And I remember thinking how stupid this is. I'm sitting here, but you know, you just can't, you just can't quit like that. You, you have to keep powering through. And I kept getting away with it. And the more I get away with it, the more comfortable I felt with it. You know, I would start doing dumb stuff, you know, out in public. Uh, I catch on myself and again, I clean up. Got a better job working for the city, driving buses and driving city buses. That worked good. I went clean for about two and a half years, from 2010 to early 2013. Now in 2013, I started having marital problems. Me and, me and my wife weren't getting along and, and my using wasn't helping, but I'd get into these arguments with her and that's when I started doing the disappearing game. Up until this time, I had never, never actually banished for any point in time, but got into a fight one night and I found myself up at a strip club. And I go inside and one of the strippers, she had a habit too, and asked me if I wanted to leave with her. Didn't have nothing else to do and I didn't want to go home and she had plenty of dope, so it sounded like a great idea, you know? And uh, I go back with her, spend all night smoking dope. And uh, it started a new whole new habit of me staying gone for days at a time. Hadn't said nothing to nobody and I'm leaving a bunch of people home, my wife, my mother don't know what's going on. Kids, ain't nobody seen me. Now I was always slick about how I did my stuff where I thought I was at least. I used to hide my shit right there in plain sight. And uh, I'm gone on one of my trips, you know, up at the up at the motel. And my wife at home, unbeknownst to me, had just gotten fed up of it. And she started packing my stuff up, went and pulled my stuff out the closet. And one of my crap packs fell out, hit the ground, shattered. And that's how she found out where I had been going and what I was doing. And I'll tell you like this, you know, the only thing that actually kept me even halfway straight when I was functional was that shame, you know, not wanting anybody to know what I'm doing, not wanting anybody to know. And once it came out, 
she went and told my mother right away, out of concern, out of concern. I understand that now, but back then it was just the worst thing she could do to me. And I remember I'm sitting up at this, this old ragged out motel and I'm sitting in the room and peeking out the window, you know, like, like we do. <laughs> I'm peeking out the window and I swear I see my mom's truck pull into the yard. So I jump back and I'm telling the people in the room, be quiet, be quiet. I'm out the peak hole like crazy. <laughs> and they're looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I swear, I think I see my, my car out there. Dude in the next room, he goes over and just pulls the curtain open, looks outside. He sees them, they see him, they recognize him. He's in there. Next thing I know, my wife is coming up the stairs. She's banging on the door. She burst in the room. There's a girl living in a tent. There's <laughs> another girl. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm hiding behind a dresser and the, the TV stand, hiding from her while she's in the room asking them where I'm at. And they're trying their best to clever for me. But yeah, she made the comment that if she didn't, if I didn't come out, she's calling the cops. So gigs up. I come out. And you know, that's when I had to actually face the face the music. Now, mind you, we're only at 20, 20, 2013 at this point. So there's a lot of story left, of course. But, you know, here I am trying to play the whole game where I'm going to fix everything. And I go to my job. And I never got popped on a piss test, never got even called for a piss test. So I try to play the smart role like I always do. And I figure, you know, if I go to them and tell them I need help, they can't fire me, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull that that number and it worked. You know, I was able to put myself into treatment the first time, but I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. I wasn't doing it because I wanted to be sober. I wasn't doing it because you know, I needed to do it. I was doing it trying to play damage control, you know, not realizing that you know the shock I had put on my wife, she wasn't ready for that. The shock I put on my mother, she wasn't ready for that. So I go into treatment thinking the world's going to be good and spend two weeks in inpatient, start going to outpatient, and I can't figure out why nobody's trusting me, why nobody's dealing with me, why they're still giving me all the hell that they give me, you know? It didn't take but maybe six months for the marriage to fall apart. About two months after, well, no, it was about, about uh, on April about six months for the job to fall apart and the marriage fell quickly after that. Yeah. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm homeless. My wife filed for divorce. I'm not getting along with family. Everything was going bad. That's when the trouble with the police starts. Yeah. In this particular time, I tried to clean up again. I, I stayed clean from April to November when everything fell apart. And when it fell apart, I didn't go back to Craig. Uh, I had a buddy of mine that he was, he was dealing meth. And everything changed at that point. I found, found a new gig. So I was getting it cheap and it was all readily available. And uh, one of the guys I knew from, from the rehab, 
he had like to been he'd come back and he had been dibbling, dibbling and dabbling, you know, trying to get, get powder cocaine and whatnot. And he came by the house. When he came by, you know, all I had was the meth. So didn't have a job, didn't have an income, but this guy had money. And I took advantage of him because I was charging him wholesale prices for, for what I was getting bottom dollar. So I had a steady stream of a dope and long story short, I ended up ruining his marriage with his wife and separating him from his kids, bleeding him dry. And I started running with a bunch of folks I knew better than to be messing with. And next thing you know, I'm selling stolen equipment. And yeah, just, you know how that goes. Yeah. End up running across, across the law and they came trying to, trying to, trying to get me and me being too smart, you know, I saw them coming. They couldn't really pin anything on me, but at the same time, they knew what I was doing. End up getting, getting into a tussle with them. Wound up with a broken orbital socket, broken nose, broken jaw, cop row of teeth knocked out, broken ribs, road rash like like you wouldn't believe, tased seven times. <laughs> Whole ordeal, which just started a, a a big hatred between me and them because at that point I got real cocky and started getting stupid. You know, stuff that anybody in their right mind just knew not to do. Didn't make sense to me. I, I'm gonna do it. Led to more arrest, time in jail. I beat all those charges, funny enough. I beat all those charges. So I wasn't learning anything. I wasn't learning anything at all. By the time I got out, you know, everybody I was running with, they put me on, I ended up going on two years, I signed for two years probation but I was able to talk my felony charge of possession down to a misdemeanor attempted to possess. And I had another charge, felony charge sitting behind it. Of course, when I signed the probation, I didn't stop using. So within a couple of months, I'd already failed my piss test. My PO tells me that she's gonna send me back to the jail, but the cops had bundled so much information on the arrest Plus, having held me for four and a half months before sending me to court, when I talked it down to a misdemeanor, the judge tells me, look, I'm going to send you to SMART, which is the state-sponsored uh, rehab facility. He says, if you complete the five-month stay in SMART, I'll throw out your felony case. You got a deal. And already in my head, I'm already thinking, you know, if I can finish out this five month stay in here and he throws out my case, I don't need probation. I can drop that because the most they can give me is 30 days in jail. I'm back to using again, just that easy. Cause that's exactly what I did. Did the five month stay, got out in April of 2017. In May, I told the probation officer, I want to go back to court. I don't want to do finish the probation because I still had a year and a half. Why would I trade a year and a half of probation when I can do 30 days in jail? So uh, they let me out, get off. When, uh, 
when I get back out there, my wife had heard that I cleaned up. She comes back to me. I'm not clean, but I'm not telling her. She remarries me. And here I am trying to play it off. And I'm still a hot mess. From 2017 to 2021, I put that woman through pure hell. And she kept telling me that she's going to stick with me. She's not, she's not going to leave me because she felt bad about the way she left me. It wasn't until last August that I was able to sit back and see myself. In that last year, I spent $42,000 on nothing but dope and hookers and, and crazy shit with nothing to show for it. And at this point, I finally broke down crying. She had already looked up rehab facilities that would take me in and get me right. And the moment I, I realized that I'm sitting in, a, in the truck with a needle in my arm, dead broke. Now mind you, I, I got everything I need and I'm wasting it. It was at that point I finally had enough. I finally had enough. I go into rehab for the first time with the intention of cleaning up. I actually come out with the intention of being clean. And, and everything changed just because my intention changed. Jails couldn't do it. Homelessness couldn't do it. It was just pure intention. A friend of mine that I was in, in treatment with before, she, uh, she got me into my first, my first meeting and I've been going ever since. She, uh, she's the one that keeps me on track and that's where I met my sponsor at. And he works with me, he's patient with me, but I'm able to keep a good focus now. I got a, a house, got a car, got everything that I lost back. My wife's right there in the other room, kisses me every day, hugs me, tells me how proud she is. And everything's coming back together. And it's just a little bit of intention and desire. It's all working again. That's my story in a nutshell. Yeah, see? What a turnaround. Yeah, that was awesome. Told you. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Let me try it again. <coughs> Sorry, I just had to... Fuck Smoke that some up. crack during the break. <laughs> I got all this stuff in my lungs. Okay, ready? Yep. See? What a turnaround, right? Mm hmm I told you. Yeah. Man. Yeah, it was great. <sighs> what a what a ride. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Derek. That was yeah, amazing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, what'd you think? I, I really, really liked uh, his story. It's always a good reminder, like, when we hear people tell their uh tell their story just how far we've all come yeah right? like just how deep and dark and and bad it can get and how it's never too late to yeah. to come back from that so and i i love that i love that his wife came back around and he's mm -hmm. he's he's really you know working towards this new way of life to incorporate her in it and and going into 
you know, treatment with that new intention of, of changing who he is for the long term. Yeah. 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 I know for sure that I'm an addict and alcoholic when I hear some of these stories from our war story people and I'm like, man, I wish I would have done that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating sometimes that it can still have a pill. Yeah. Um, but you know, now we're able to play that tape through, like we said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like hearing Derek, uh, having gotten to that point too, where, you know, he went, he went back to treatment with intention. Things had gotten bad enough that he knew that, uh, that it was time. Yeah. Yeah. And like, he just put himself there. There was a lot of risky situations after, after he moved to Texas, you know, and, and just moving in next to a drug dealer. I don't think that's something that he intended to do. Right. But after, after he started, you know, hanging out with that guy and that guy just, you know, th- he talked about that guy's intention wasn't really to, to mess up his life, but, uh, it was just to kind of show him a good time. That lifestyle just continues to spiral mm. out and get heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. The drug use gets more and more and more and the risks that we take get more and more and more, you know, where you're going to a, 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 a wreck or a fucking a DUI and you're talking to the cops right? and you're smoking crack right before you mm. get out of your tow truck to go fucking talk to the cops. Yep. Like it's so risky, you know? And then, and then not only that, but like driving around, driving a bus, driving, you know, having, having these, these jobs and, and still smoking crack all day yeah. long, like, yeah. like getting high all day long with, and and it just goes to show too, like it doesn't matter where you come from because he came up in a in a fairly normal good good yeah. family normal household, uh, you know, sound fairly fairly normal upbringing. You know, for us alcoholics and addicts, you know, we start a lot of us start drinking as teenagers and using them as teenagers, and that causes some problems. But then, you know, going into the army and and finding out that you're either going to drink. Or, or not, not that you're either, or you're going to drink, either you're going to drink on your, your choice or ours. Like mm-hmm. that's the only two options you have yeah. and, and becoming part of that culture. What does like, that say about our United States government? Well, I don't, th- <laughs> Oh, it's the government's fault. <laughs> I decided. Yeah. I mean, proclamation. Well, if you think back to like, um, Ryan Ryan's story like it, the hockey league was the same right way. yeah they very were, true very like, true yep. like these, these we heard a couple of times with hockey players hockey yeah. and, and military and uh it construction just comes with the space yeah <laughs> yep. yeah yeah interesting and, point and so um you know thank you Derek for for sharing your story I got a lot out of it I could re- really relate with with taking it too far right it, with getting to that point where finally ready. Yeah. Yeah. We all took it too far. I remember, I remember, uh, picking up stolen equipment from a police officer, like taking shots on my way whilst driving to the police station. Oh yeah. To meet with the police officer to pick up stolen equipment. So it's just funny how the insanity, the insanity to, to maintain the buzz. Yep. Crazy. For sure. Yeah. I'm glad that today I don't have to live that way. Yeah, me too. Because it wasn't uh, it very wasn't grateful. Living. Very grateful to be here and not there. Mm, 
You said it, Willie. Yeah. So, Derek, thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Well, there it is. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, we're going to get out of here. This will be the last time you see us in this studio. Go ahead, Willie. With? Cry. Oh, yeah. I've already cried enough. Nope. I want to see it. No. not going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> on to bigger and better things. On to, on to different things. That's right. For sure. Um, so. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to cry. Yeah. Thank you to everyone who's been with us for this uh, journey so far. We're not done yet. We're just done here. Stay tuned. Yeah. Be fun to come back with something new. So, you guys want to see what Jordan and Rylan look like? Mm -mm. Oh, okay. (laughs) Rylan, come here. I don't know if anybody's ever. Get in here. Say hi. Hello. Hello. Jordan, does anybody know oh, what no. you look like? Let's see. Oh. oh, hello there. You guys have seen me before. Yeah. I've been Jordan here. was on episode... I think it was five. Been five. a while. Yeah. It's been five. Episode yeah, five. I've never been on an episode. This is us signing off from this space. See you on the other side. You are worth the work. Goodbye. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.